Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. We welcome you to our show tonight. Uh, my name is Doris Hansen, and I am the host of the program. And we are grateful that you have decided to spend some of your evening with us. Uh, before we get on with the show, I'd like to mention that next week on May 17th, our guest will be Grant Palmer, and we are going to discuss the sexual allegations against Joseph Smith. It will be an interesting show, and so we certainly invite you to join us then. Two weeks ago, on April 26th, our guest was Kay Burningham. Kay is the author of a recently published book entitled, An American Fraud, One Lawyer's Case Against Mormonism. Kay is a former Mormon. She was raised LDS. She discovered much that was fraudulent. She despised the doctrine of polygamy and the massive and premeditated cover-ups of early and present-day Mormonism. There is and has been no accountability, just more cover-ups to whitewash past doctrinal and behavioral errors. So after much pain and soul-searching, she left the LDS Church. Two weeks ago, we discussed her life as a Mormon, which covered the first part of her book. And tonight, we're going to discuss the second part of her book, One Lawyer's Case Against Mormonism. Because there is so much to discuss on this topic, we decided to pre-record this show, which will allow us more time for discussion. And because the show is pre-recorded, we won't be taking any telephone calls from our viewers. Again, tonight's show is pre-recorded, so we're not taking any telephone calls. Don't call in to the studio tonight. However, if you have questions or comments about tonight's show, please email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and we'll be sure that your email will be given uh, to and answered by whomever you address the email to. So, to get moving forward, I'd like to introduce and welcome once again our guest, Kay Burningham. Thank you for coming, Kay. Thank you, Doris. It's a pleasure to be here. I've enjoyed your show many times, and um, I'm very grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you tonight. And we're grateful that you're coming and sharing this very controversial <laughs> topic that we're going to be discussing tonight, too. Your book is entitled... An American Fraud, One Lawyer's Case Against Mormonism. And there should be a picture, a graphic of the cover of the book uh, put up on the screen. There it is. Um, would you tell our viewers how they can get a copy of your book about your website, where they can go, and where they can go to order your book? Certainly. Um, I have a website that is simply my name, kburningham.com. And uh, I also blog on a website called anamericanfraudblogspot.com. But it's easiest to order it through Amazon, whether you'd like a print copy or Barnes & Noble. Amazon also has it available exclusively on their Kindle for just $9.99. Uh -huh. And didn't you say that if someone walked into the Barnes & Noble bookstore, they would have to ask for it because they don't display your book? I believe that's the case, especially uh, here in Utah. Yeah, okay, that, and that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> now, I'd like our viewers to know tonight that when we say Mormonism, uh, polygamists are included because polygamists believe in Mormon doctrine. 
So we need to keep that in mind as we do our discussion tonight. So uh, Kay, first of all, um, because Mormonism and polygamy are all mixed up in this hodgepodge of a, of a, a fraud and a cover-up, would you tell us about some of the legal work that you've been involved in? Yes. Um, I graduated from BYU Law School in the early 80s and uh, initially practiced in Southern California in Orange County and San Diego. I uh, represented insurance companies for many years and then um, had a life-changing experience that required that I go to the other side, so to speak. I'd represented physicians and um, insurance companies and big business and saw a lot of cover-up, a lot of um, destroyed evidence, a lot of wow. things that just weren't fair. And then I was a victim uh, of a motor vehicle collision and saw that people that were hurt were really mostly hurt and were very sincere and were not trying to fake or take the system for a bunch of money, which is what we hear all the time. And, and I saw that that wasn't true. Mm -hmm. I was also a temporary judge for the San Diego Superior Court for five years from 1990 to, to 1995. And in that capacity, I worked with other judges who uh, settled cases to try to resolve business disputes and contract cases and other types of cases. And I mm -hmm. saw both sides. I saw the defense and the big corporations, and I saw um, the individual and, and just how hard it is for one person to go up against mm -hmm. people with money, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's the cost of the litigation or the quality of the experts, things like that. Wow, mm -hmm. wow. Uh, so when you when you write this book, you're writing it from the legal mind, especially the last part of your book, the the uh, lawyer's case against Mormonism. That's right. Uh, why did you write the book? Well, um, ever since I went, I was 19, and I I had a trip where I went to South Africa and saw issues were raised to me about oppression and the position of black people in, in the Mormon church. And ever since that time, I've been questioning the religion. Um, I have been in cases involving fraud off and on for years. And in 2009, I argued a case before the Utah Supreme Court involving excessive radiation therapy for a cancer patient. Um, the, the basic facts of that case were that my client underwent a intra-abdominal radiation treatment that was not explained to him appropriately, that was very novel and may have even been experimental. Oh my. And did that in conjunction with some other radiation treatment. He ended up getting way too much radiation and had, quote, the holy Jesus burned out of him by, uh, according to the doctor at the burn unit at the University of Utah. Oh. It was very, very bad. And as I was arguing the case uh, and in preparation for that case, um, I realized that Fraud in the inducement, which is a legal term of art, is a common law type of fraud, and that is when somebody or some business or some representation is made that is not true of a fact, um, in, in order to induce somebody to rely upon that representation and then to act in a certain way, that's wrong, that's a civil tort in the civil justice system, and I thought, you know, Joseph Smith is not the biggest problem in this church. What he did was certainly fraudulent, and that has been explained and attacked ever since 1830. Mm -hmm. But the real fraud that's going on, the horrible ongoing in perpetuity, as far as I can tell, fraud, is that each generation of brethren in the church and people that control the propaganda and the leaders of the Mormon church are 
misrepresenting the true origins of Mormonism. They don't talk about Joseph Smith with his head in a hat looking at a peepstone. They don't reveal his many adulterous affairs with young women. They say nothing of the Book of Abraham and the clear fraudulent translation fraud. of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they cover it up, they omit it, they misrepresent it even in propaganda because you always see in the visitor center and in uh, different periodicals, you see Joseph Smith sitting with gold plates looking as if he's actually translating, and that is just yeah, not correct. That's not true. So the fraud is that there's been a misrepresentation <clears throat> by the leadership to the members and to potential members, and I don't believe that most people would join if they thought the religion was based upon somebody looking inside of their hat. <laughs> to, I just don't think to, they would. To yeah. come up with their scriptures. Right, right. Uh, well, mm -hmm. when, you, uh, when you wrote the book, did, did you, was your intention to sue the church when no, you wrote it? not at all. Um, what I have found through many years and having some cases published and many, many jury trials is that your average person doesn't really read anything about the law. I mean, you get sound bites from the media, from magazines, and on the news. But cases, very important cases by the Supreme Court, for instance, the Citizens United case that came down in 2010 from the U.S. Supreme Court, hardly anyone really knows what that says, and they know it has something to do with campaign financing. Mm -hmm. But the best way to get the word out about what is going on is through writing about it, mm -hmm. the type of writing that's accessible to the average person. So I thought, People really need to know what their rights are and how what the church is doing is, is tortious. That's the word for committing a tort. It's wrong under the civil justice system. So I just wanted to explain and put it all in the legal system and shake it out, every, all the facts that had already been established, and make my argument sort of like at the end of a trial where uh -huh. you make your, your argument your to the jury. closing arguments or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about polygamy on this. Do, okay. do you think that the doctrine of polygamy is part of this fraud that, that you're talking about, you're addressing here? Absolutely. Um, and you know this better than I do, Doris, but Section 132, you read it and you see how self-serving the language is. Um, it was, in my opinion, uh, something that was created in Joseph Smith's mind in order to control his wife, the other women, and in order to obtain sexual favors from young, innocent women. Uh, certainly, if a prophet tells you that you are meant to be his second wife or third wife, and you're very naive and young, you're apt to believe him. Mm -hmm. And if he's very charismatic and very sincere, and, and it's... But we know that's yeah, not true. Yeah, we know yeah. it's not the word of God. Exactly. And they do carry that power over the people. They And people are easily, especially when you're young and yeah. innocent like so many of these women were that Joseph that's Smith true. took. Now, uh, let me get, uh, get clear on this. Uh, so are you saying that the fraud that the Mormon church continues to perpetrate is more than above and beyond the fraud that Joseph Smith originally yes, began? Yes, and, and that is because... They know, and by they I mean the leaders of the church, the brethren, the first presidency, the apostles, and, and certainly most of the 70s. And, and I, I can't tell you who knows what. No one knows that, but, no, except no. that individual. But, but they've either knowingly misrepresented the facts of the, of the church, meaning the facts of how Joseph Smith came up with the Book of Mormon, mm -hmm. the facts about the Kinderhook plates, yeah. the facts about... Um, the papyri uh, and the Book of Mormon translation. These are 
objectively verifiable independent facts that people like Grant Palmer, people like Richard Van Orden, all the great writers over the last 20 years have ferreted out from church historical sources, from primary sources, to show us that this is how Mormonism was created. Mm -hmm. This is how it was run in the early years. There was a lot of crime. There was the Kirtland Bank. There was a lot of yeah. swindling. Joseph yeah. Smith was charged with glass looking. Mm -hmm. He escaped uh, the jurisdiction and then later got off with a two-year statute of limitations defense. Mm -hmm. But all these facts, when you put them all together, they bring up a picture of a man who was a charlatan, a man who scammed people for a living, mm. and yet the church paints him as this wonderful, devoted uh, father, Spiritual. wife of one, yes, yeah. yes, okay. uh, husband of but one wife, uh -huh. and even at the time he was claiming never to have uh, married but one wife. Right. And so it's a misrepresentation. So it was a misrepresentation at the, ori at the original yes. level, and then from every president of the church and leadership of the church up until and including today, they continue to perpetrate the same fraud. That's my argument. And, and the argument is, it's sort of like fraud upon fraud, uh -huh. because there's the original fraud and then there's the misrepresentation in what they show at the visitor center, uh -huh. uh, the films, the, even the language on josephsmith.net. Joseph Smith remained humble. He was a humble farm boy. He was a plowboy prophet. He was just revered and wonderful, and, and nothing is said about his true life. Right, and how he got yeah. up and boasted that he was even greater than Jesus. Correct. Um, yeah. You know, I've, I've, people have made suggestions to me just in talking, you know, not, not, not any serious plan making or anything, but suggestions or even question if it would be possible for a class action lawsuit uh, that could be brought up against the Mormon church. Are there constitutional prohibitions against suing a church, and would that go under the separation of church and state? That's a very good question. Um, and actually, those are two procedural questions. Class action is a type of lawsuit that is procedural in that many people can join in if their interests are similar. Uh -huh. And I'll get to that in a minute. Now, you say if their interests are similar, excuse me, yeah. would that mean that they would have to have been harmed by the church to have joined in the lawsuit, um, the class action? Yes, and harmed in a similar way and duped in a similar way, and the misrepresentations would have had okay. to be common to the group. Uh -huh. but but, but let me first address the constitutional issues, if I may, quickly. Mm -hmm. The First Amendment provides for freedom of religion, but it also provides, it also mandates against entanglement of religion. And so it's kind of a, a thin line that the courts have to walk in deciding how much religious freedom do we have versus where are we impinging on other people's rights. And the polygamy cases are excellent examples of that. Um, the case law so far involving the LDS Church has been surrounding things such as bishops failing to report uh, child abuse in the ward. Mm -hmm. And the U.S. Supreme Court, in, or excuse me, the Utah Supreme Court in a case has indicated, well, we don't want to really get involved in what the bishops have to do or can or cannot do. So we don't want to say that they have to report the abuse when, in fact, they usually say just forgive the matter and forget mm -hmm. it, but, because that's intruding on a constitutionally protected area of the law, that okay. is internal religious workings. Uh -huh. On the other hand, when you're dealing with the misrepresentations of a fact, an independent verifiable fact, this has nothing to do with religion. Whether Joseph Smith put his head in a hat, which had a stone in it, versus whether Joseph Smith actually found gold plates and sat there and translated from reformed Egyptian written by ancient American prophets, 
those are all questions of fact that have nothing to do with religion. If you think about it, the religious issue is really a red herring in that. Mm -hmm. uh, were the Kinderhook plates real or a fake? We now know that they were absolutely a fake they and made, made to set him up. Mm -hmm. Even though their subject might be a little bit religious, it's, they're not religious issues. And so we're not asking a court of law to ask, well, you need to adjudicate whether prayer is effective or whether tithing works if we pay yeah, it. Sure. We're not asking sure. that. We, we're just asking them to look at the facts as they have been proven in primary source documents, numerous source documents that have been hidden from most of us. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, uh, it, it takes me back to the Supreme Court when, um, I think it was 1879, when the Supreme Court on the polygamy issue yes. uh, determined that freedom of religion stands. We are free to believe anything that we want regarding religion, but we are not free to behave however we want regarding religion. That's absolutely. They can uh, uh, regulate that. That's absolutely a good line uh, kind of a fine line guide. Mm -hmm. And that's true with virgin sacrifice back in the Mayan culture. That's true with that's true with this. There's good public policy reasons to prevent people from wholesale fraud being perpetrated on them. Uh, some churches have been prosecuted under the government racketeering organization RICO um, law. Uh, some of the evangelists, no, evangelicals, <laughs> evangelicals. There you go. I was thinking of, of Baker and the people back yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah. And they're prosecuted because what they were doing um, was deemed to be a harm to the public welfare in the United States. And they were misrepresenting yes. the. They're asking for funds and misrepresenting the the their what they were doing. Right. But I think what gets gets to me a lot is the fraud and the cover-ups never stop. It just goes on and the layers, layer upon layer and you see the hurts and you see the pain, especially in the polygamy groups. It's yeah. kind of like an onion where you peel the layer off and there's still another layer and you peel it off mm -hmm. and you're crying more and more and more. Each yeah. layer that comes off is just so ugly. The hurt that's been perpetrated since Joseph Smith started this. It's really sad. It, it is sad. Um, our show frequently deals with the absolute harm of polygamy. And this harm, we can see it daily in news headlines. Uh, scores of books have been written or are being written from both male and female victims of polygamy. Uh, I was born and raised in polygamy and I've seen it firsthand. And, and we help people uh, who come out of polygamy groups um, either while they're, we help them get out or after they get out. And we see the harms that have been done to them too. So there is no question about it that polygamy life is harmful. Yes. Even Canada recently agreed with that. Now, more, it seems like that many Mormons and polygamists would argue that they are happy and that they live good, moral, productive lives. Do you feel that mainstream Mormons have been harmed like the polygamists have? And is this harm irreparable? Well, I do believe that many mainstream Mormons have suffered significant psychological harm. And I can't really judge Overall, I have no statistics or background except anecdotal evidence to suggest that mm -hmm. that mainstream Mormons have been harmed as well. And what I base that on is uh, my experiences, family and friends, acquaintances. I've taken quite a few depositions since I've been back practicing in Utah uh, for the past 10 or 11 years. And, and I know that most all the women who I've deposed are on Prozac or some other psychotropic oh. drug. 
and that's a fair question to ask at the beginning of a deposition because it affects your ability to recall sure, events. Sure. So, and I've just seen so much uh, in my mother's ward in the past year or so. There have been three suicides, and of course, the good Mormons will, will say it's because they weren't living the gospel, but, but when you find out what really happened, many of them find out that what they were living and what they thought was the truth is a big mm -hmm. lie, and that causes a lot of I'd like stress. to mention something here. Now, uh, recently statistics have come out that suicide, Utah's number one in suicide. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the, the greatest amount of our population, greatest number of our population is LDS or polygamy, one of, you know, yeah. Mormonism of some mm -hmm. sort. The, the Mormon doctrine teaches that the, even the lowest kingdom, the lowest place you can go on the other side is greater than it is here. Do you think that would be one reason that people would commit suicide greater <laughs> more here? Because they think that even, even if they went to the very lowest level, it's gonna, they're going to be better off well, than they are here? I'd hate to think that. I haven't thought about that seriously. Um, but I, I think the problem with, with Mormonism, with it, so many rules and regulations, I think people get very, very frustrated in trying to keep up appearances when nobody can keep up the perfect Mormon lifestyle. It's just impossible, and there's no, there's not the forgiveness that there might be in other Christian religions. Well, and the forgiveness is you have to work through it. Right. And the sad part of that is when you work through it and you do that same sin again, it all comes back on you and you have to yeah. start at square one again. Yeah. And, and that is extremely heartbreaking and right. and it is impossible it's right. very impossible to right. do that then that was just kind of a side no, discussion on interesting on yeah. what you just mentioned yeah. on your book in your book on page 352 you're talking talking about mass mind control and I'd like to quote what you've written in okay. your book that Edward Bernays wrote and uh, this should go up on the screen it says uh, Edward Bernays wrote if we understand the mechanism and motives of the group mind, it is now possible to control and regiment the masses according to our will without them knowing it." End quote. Mind control is necessary for them to be able to continue to increase their membership. Now this is especially true with the polygamists, and that is what happens in polygamy groups, but it's also true with Mormonism in general. This is what has happened and is happening. How does it ever stop? I don't recall who said this, but I really believe that education is the great equalizer. And unfortunately, um, Mormons, and certainly fundamentalist Mormons are even more at risk here, do not receive a good education. Um, the education, the schools in, the public schools in Utah are really controlled by the church. Uh, the content is not as diversified as what is in other public schools in other states. And even, even the universities, with the exception of maybe the University of Utah, sort of cater to the Mormon mindset. And if people don't read, and if they don't read outside their religion, mm -hmm. whatever they were born in, they're not going to know they have a choice. They're going to think the only choice is what they were brought up with and being a bad person. And I think that's the problem in Mormonism is that, that there's no outside sources from which to compare. Um, the church with the correlation committee and the manuals and even guiding, I think it was said in Deseret News a couple of, a year ago or so, uh, stick with the manual. Don't do research on the internet. Make sure that you just say what the brethren want you to teach. And that's wrong. You should be able to, to go outside of the church and it's 
publications, compare it to other mm -hmm. philosophers, other religions, shake out the truth and error, and make your own decision right, right, from inside. Right. And how can anyone truly know if they don't check all sides of an issue? And you would know this from, from mm -hmm. your attorney experience. Correct. If you don't get all sides of the issue, how are you ever going to know that you've really got the truth? You don't. And I've seen this. It's been really interesting in some juries in Utah, how they operate compared to California juries, which are the juries I worked with for years. Um, a lot of times you call in experts to support your, your case in a court of law. And Utah juries make the mistake of wholeheartedly adopting the expert's opinion as their verdict rather than just giving it some weight and taking in all the evidence and making their own decision. And it's really interesting because I think Mormons like to just adopt a position or adopt a statement as their own instead of taking the time to think about it, mm -hmm. analyze it, mm -hmm. and independently evaluate it. Mm -hmm. and, and even in the Bible, uh, God tells us, test everything. Yeah and then hold on to the good. So he's telling us to do that, test it and sift out what's the good from the bad and, right. and hold on to that. Right. Um, there's a book entitled, How Do You Kill 11 Million People? I don't have a graphic to show this on the screen, but it's a small book, it's written by Andy Andrews, and it says, how do you kill 11 million people? And you get inside the book, it's a very, uh, very quick read, but he said the answer is breathtakingly simple. You lie to them. Wow. That's how you kill the people. The lives and the eternities of millions of people who have been caught up uh, in Mormonism, and that includes polygamy, since it's begun, has damaged, it has damaged and killed so many people for the lie that Joseph Smith began. And again, rhetorically, I ask the question, how does it ever stop? How can we stop it? It's... It Right. We try. Right. Okay, we, uh, we are now at uh, uh, halfway through the show. We'd like to take a break right now and show you a message about our ministry. We'll be right back. You are watching Polygamy, What Love Is This? Broadcasting live from Salt Lake City, Utah. This program is the broadcast outreach of A Shield and Refuge Ministry. Shield and Refuge is a point of first contact for Mormon fundamentalists who question the doctrines of the religion or who are actively seeking for an opportunity to escape the polygamist lifestyle. Examining the claims of fundamentalist doctrine against the backdrop of biblical truth is central to our efforts. We invite you to contact us. Call toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at TV at aboutpolygamy.com. You are welcome to join us in our monthly support group, Life After Polygamy, where you can meet others like yourself who are searching for answers about polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism. We meet monthly in the Salt Lake City area. For more details about time and place, call us toll-free at 877-425-9993 or email us at tv at aboutpolygamy.com. We want you to know that we have made available to you some outstanding resources free of charge. You will find them at our website, www.whatloveisthis.tv. There you will find the DVD, Lifting the Veil of Polygamy, which documents the real-life stories told firsthand of those who were lifted out of the culture of polygamy through the power and love of Jesus Christ. Also, free of charge to you is the booklet, Is Polygamy Biblical?, 
It explores plural marriage in the context of God's Word and answers questions like, Did God ever command polygamy? Is it part of God's plan? While you are at our website, make sure to take advantage of the archived episodes of this program, which can stream on demand directly to your computer. There are more than 100 shows to choose from. And if someone you know is unable to view this program via live broadcast, recommend that they visit this same website every Thursday at 8 p.m. Mountain Time to watch this show through live streaming video. Simply follow the links to the live streaming video page. If you are watching live tonight, we invite you to call us as we open our phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20. That's 801-973-8820. Now, back to Polygamy, What Love Is This? with our host, Doris Hansen. Welcome back to our show. Uh, we are having an interview tonight with Kay Birmingham. She's the author of the book, An American Fraud, One Lawyer's Case Against Mormonism. And we are talking about uh, her case against Mormonism from the legal mindset. Uh, we do want to remind you that this is a pre-recorded show tonight, and so we are not taking live telephone calls, if, uh, so don't call into the studio. Uh, but if you do have comments or questions, uh, either for myself or for Kay, you're welcome to email them to us, tv at aboutpolygamy.com, and whomever you address the email to, we will be getting back with you for sure. Now, we, we uh, stopped on the question, how does this fraud, how does it ever stop? It just layers and layers of it, and, and we kind of got stopped on right. that one. <laughs> um, I have some ideas on that. Um, certainly, over the past two decades, or since Internet uh, access has become widely available, uh, there have been, and you, you know this, there have been thousands and thousands of sites that have posted primary source documents about the true history of the church. Mm -hmm. And people are now able to check, mm -hmm. despite warnings that they shouldn't look on the internet or search on the internet, and then verify and see if this is what really happened back in the 1820s. They can check, for example, the first vision and whether it's been changed. Yeah. They can check that the name of the church has been changed. You can check that. Um, and so that is one important way to change things when people become aware, whether through books such as mine or the, or the book that you're talking about or other books like Grant Palmer's book, they become aware that things aren't, aren't as they had been taught. Mm -hmm. Another way, and this is unfortunate, but through years and decades of working with the civil justice system, I have seen big corporations, individual defendants, people continue on in impunity with wrongdoing, whether it's um, a pharmaceutical company with an unsafe drug or uh, a company that pollutes and has um, toxins on its property that leaches into the water and people become sick because of it, like in the Aaron Brockovich show, or um, people that manufacture defective products and children are harmed, or cars that have the gas tank right by the engine in such a position that they explode Whoa. when they turn on. <laughs> Things like that continue, and most incredibly, and most people don't know this, but companies go through a risk-benefit analysis, and they say, well, how much will it cost to change the design or the chemical composition or to clean up all this acreage versus how many people do you think will really get hurt or die because oh, of this? Oh, my goodness. And they weigh it, and if it's, if it's not, if people aren't going to sue because they like doctors and they don't like lawyers, or if they 
for whatever reason, they'll continue the wrongdoing until they are brought to justice. Wow. And the way to do that is through a lawsuit because mm -hmm. with the help of the courts, the judicial system is one of the last areas where we as individuals and as people who want to fight for what is right can really have a chance to obtain justice. And through the judicial, judicial system, we can require that, for instance, a church turn over its records, turn over its tithing records maybe. I mean, I'm not saying for sure, but we can certainly make an attempt to have a judge order what's been going on. We don't know where all this money has gone. Has it gone to City Creek? Has it gone to pay the family members or to support the Smiths and the, all the Mormon names for, for centuries and centuries? I mean, not mm -hmm. centuries, but decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. And so we could maybe find those things out. And once somebody is brought to the bar of justice, then they take it seriously. But unfortunately, until that time, they don't. I mean, that's just, that's just how people yeah, are. It that's seems. how it is. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned in an earlier conversation about turning the other cheek, but it doesn't, it doesn't fit in with something like this. It's, turning the other cheek is more, more of a personal relationship issue than a fraudulent organization issue. Well, I agree with that, but, but I think the church does use, and I've heard in general conferences, I've heard them speak about not suing people, um, that you should just forgive and forget and go on with your life, and if you do that, you'll have a happy life, contrasted with somebody who, who files a lawsuit and ruins this poor doctor's life or this poor defendant's life, when really that's not, that's not right, uh, correct characterization. If someone has a legitimate harm, they're entitled to file a lawsuit, and whether it was intentional or not, that's why we have insurance. If somebody hits you in their car, you're entitled to be, have your car repaired and have your medical bills paid for. If somebody malpractices you, mm -hmm. you're entitled to have your errors and emissions carrier pay for that. It's uh, not and, and to even take this maybe a level further with, uh, with ecclesiastical issues, uh, they're promising eternal life. Yeah. They're, they're promising something that hereafter, forever and ever and ever and ever, right. um, where, where there is, is a tweaking going on in how that takes place. Even from Joseph Smith's time to now, it's right. changed. But Jesus talked to the ecclesiastical leaders in his day, and he never advocated turning the other cheek and let them continue to perpetrate fraud on them. He ripped them up one side and down the other for leading them astray. That's correct. That's correct. And since so much of a person is determined by their belief system, their whole paradigm, if it's a Mormon paradigm, it takes a lot to shift it. And if you're LDS, whether fundamental or, or mainstream, you are going to base your choice of college, base mm -hmm. who you marry, mm -hmm. maybe where you live, For sure, what you do with your life, yeah. yeah, based upon that paradigm and mm -hmm. believing that it's true. And if it's all not true, you could have done so many it's other things. It's based on a fraud, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, since your book has been published, what's been the reaction? Um, I've been really happy with it. I've had a lot of people who, uh, from South Africa to uh, the UK to Canada um, and all across the United States, tell me that they were so glad to read about this, especially women, that they want to share my book with um, other Mormon women because they've always felt like there was something wrong with them because they didn't want to be polygamist, whether in this life or in the next. They didn't want to do, you know, wear garments or do this or do the things that the Mormon church leaders required of them as a condition of salvation. And so it's been a big relief for people to recognize that 
maybe I don't have to have that choice. Maybe yeah. it's different yeah. than yeah. what's presented to me. Mm -hmm. So, and and your book would would reach people maybe that my book, you know, on biblical polygamy wouldn't reach. Oh, and so right. we just each one of us just touches out to some little corner of the world. I think that's true. Um, on page one seventy nine, you began by saying that Mormon theology is a foundation in fraud. Explain what you mean by that. Well, if, if Joseph Smith dictated the Book of Mormon while looking in a seer stone or a peep stone in a hat, and it was his stream of consciousness dictation as opposed to actual records that were written down by ancient American prophets, that's not necessarily from God. If he didn't really see Christ and, and the Father, but he changed his vision every few years and the people that were running the church made it sound better and juicier and more mm -hmm. wonderful. And if, if the ordination, for instance, of the Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthood, excuse me, the restoration, didn't occur, and there's a lot of evidence to indicate that it did not in fact occur, Certainly. but it was an after-the-fact addition right. to the church's complete smorgasbord of doctrines and ordinances. If none of, none of that occurred, then its foundation, its very theology is fraudulent. It's not what it purports to be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the word priesthood, I think the first time that it's mentioned by Joseph Smith in the context of, of Mormonism was a code word for polygamy. Oh, really? What, yeah. What was that? I got that in, I believe it was Michael Quinn's book. Now, oh. I'm not right. You know, this is just an off the, Yeah. Uh, it could have been one of the other books I read, but I believe it was in his wow. book where that's mentioned. That's and you get into the FLDS, Warren Jeff's group, and that's what they do. They hmm. use the word priesthood for their polygamy. The priesthood hmm. owns the people. It owns the children, mm. it owns the marriages, it owns everything. Oh, that's it, terrible. It is. And it's almost left over from the old laws in the 1900s where women were considered chattel uh -huh. by their husbands, even under the law of the United States. Uh -huh. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. On page 253 of your book, you have a section entitled, Admissions That the Book of Mormon is a Farce. <laughs> Uh, who admitted this? <laughs> and are their admissions verifiable or just hearsay? Well. Hearsay is, a, is an out-of-court statement offered to uh, show the truth of the matter asserted. It's a technical definition under the law, the rules of evidence. And when you say who said this, in this section of my book, there are affidavits, that is, signed statements under oath by, for example, Peter Ingersoll, who was a neighbor and friend to the Smith family. Um, and he testified that Joseph Smith made these admissions. He told him that one day he had a, a bunch of sand and he put it in his shirt and he took it inside and his family immediately thought it was some special treasure or golden Bible and oh so my. he played along. That's an admission by Joseph Smith. If Joseph Smith were here today to testify, if he were charged with fraud, we could get up on the stand, Peter Ingersoll could tell his story, Joseph told me this, or John Bennett, and that would be allowed, I believe, John Bennett, the physician, he claims that Joseph Smith asked him after the fact to go to New York and get some plates engraved so that he could show people the, quote, golden plates. John Bennett could testify that that's what Joseph Smith said. Mm -hmm. um, Joseph Smith was uh, looking at a congregation with uh, an attorney by the name of Walker, and he whispered, according to the scribe that wrote this down, I don't have this right here, but 
these guys are the biggest bunch of dupes that, that I've ever seen, or I'm not, you know, I'm not Joseph Smith, basically. That's mm -hmm. an admission that the attorney could testify to of Joseph admitting that it's all just a bunch of hooey. So there are signed affidavits under oath is testimonial evidence. Yes, it is. Admissible. It's accepted in, in almost all courts, particularly where the witness is not available as mm -hmm. where sure. he's dead, and it's been many years, and that is. And so there, there is evidence, I believe, uh, and when you bring all these statements together, combined they show a character of Joseph Smith. And you can get evidence of character in in certain ways in front of a, a jury. Um, and that will impeach the credibility of Joseph Smith and in turn the church. Because if he's not a believable man, if, if he did things that were deceptive on a constant basis and there's evidence from other uh, individuals who lived with him, who were subject to that deception, uh, who worked with him at the Kirtland Bank. And if there's enough evidence, you can show a pattern and practice or a habit, or that he, as a character, lacked integrity and was not a good person mm -hmm. and was very mm -hmm. deceitful. And that is evidence that the Mormon Church is also based upon lies and deceit. Mm -hmm. And as we mentioned before, all just continues on and on yeah. uh, perpetrating it. Now the polygamists believe that the end justifies the means mm -hmm. and the early church also believed that, right. early Mormonism did. Do you think that they're still operating on that belief? And if we have to lie to get for the people what we tell them is good for them, then the lie is okay? Of course not. Um, we're not children. If you think about, if you had kids when you're little, you tell them about Santa Claus and he brings gifts, and it, it, it's a fairy tale and it's a fable, but they are three, four, or five, and six. And you do that to instill in them maybe the, the idea of giving gifts and, and being, of sharing with other people. But the problem is, is there's a term in the law called in loco parentis, which means it's Latin for instead of a parent. The brethren of the Mormon church do not stand in loco parentis to their flock. The flock, except for the kids under 18, they're adults. They should be able to make up their own mind. So the brethren, in my mind, have a duty to tell the truth about the history and mm -hmm. then let the members decide what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And of course there is lying for the Lord. Um, I'm sure you've heard of that and oh, people yes. have spoken about that. Oh, yes. And I do think, and I've, I've seen uh, speeches and affidavits from former members like Ken Clark, who was with the church uh, system, educational system, I believe, for many years, decades, who said he was taught to lie about certain things. And that was just part of what you did. And mm -hmm. that's absolutely wrong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely wrong. And that's certainly true at the polygamy groups. Mm -hmm. We were taught from, from the age that we were old enough to keep a secret, we were taught how to lie to protect mm -hmm. the group, to, to protect our parents, our polygamous parents, and to protect polygamy. We were taught what to say and how to lie about it. So it's, uh, it's a very awful way to raise It really family. is, and as it distorts a person's epistemology. And this is something that's written by a friend of mine, Park Romney. But it distorts it, and so you don't know what is true. And truth is not harmful in and of itself. Truth is your friend. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, Jesus said the truth makes you free. Yes, so exactly. For sure of that. Exactly. Um, on page 349 of your book, you wrote that the Mormon church seems to be in a denial stage of the death 
of the validity of the Book of Mormon. I was excited to read this. If it's actually true, I'm really excited about it. But you said that the church leaders are discomforted that the scriptures they were taught to accept as more important than the Bible could be Joseph Smith's fiction. Would you elaborate on that? Yeah, I have this. I mentioned this in my book, but I watched October conference in 2009, and Jeff Holland, the apostle, um, gave a very heartfelt, emotional speech. And in it, it was very clear that that he was coming apart. He was angry about people challenging the Book of Mormon. He vehemently defended it. He was so emotional, you could tell that he was trying to convince himself that it was true. Hmm. And, and many people have commented on that speech because it was so out of the ordinary. Um, for decades, no general authorities would even address anything controversial, but finally in October of 2009, Holland had this long speech and it was very, very easy to sense that he was becoming uncomfortable at all the attacks. And even later in the BBC documentary where he was interviewed mm -hmm. uh, that was aired in March of this year, mm -hmm. you just look at his body language, you, you look at the way he answers questions, and, and it's clear to me that this is a man who, who is doubting hmm. after deposing hundreds of witnesses over hmm. years and years and years. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I hope the doubt continues and brings him out. Uh, the leaders know. They have to know. The leaders of the Mormon church have to know that the Book of Mormon is a fraud. But we talk about it, but the regular members in both polygamy groups and the Mormon church who watch the show cringe, and they get angry at us for even saying such a thing. Uh, and, and Joseph Smith is highly reverenced in the polygamy groups as well as in the Mormon church. Uh, they refuse to check it out. We sit here and we talk about this. Mm -hmm. We've checked it out. We've looked at both sides, all 12, 12 sides of the issue, if you mm -hmm. will. And they won't, but they'll attack us mm -hmm. for mentioning it. Mm -hmm. What could we say that would get people to check it out? I mean, I know it has to be an mm -hmm. inner conviction themselves, right. but truth has to be valuable. Right. It has to mean something. I don't know, Doris. I, I think the problem is not so much with the younger generation because they're used to, to reading more openly. But once you've lived a life of any length, if you're our age or older, you've invested a substantial amount of your life in the Mormon church. And so it's a very scary thing to think that all the temple sessions you've been through, all the money you've paid for tithing was for naught. And you don't want it to be false. You have got your yeah, life invested yeah. in it. And so you really can't go to people so much other than if they turn on your TV show or buy your book or buy my book. And then there's access to the truth. But you can't force it. That's it has right. to come from the side. And, and as you know, it has to be there if they want to avail themselves of the information. Mm -hmm. And But then again, um, there are older people who I've had contact with, who have contacted me, who have gone on missions, lived their whole lives dedicated to the church, and are so glad that, thank God, someone has stepped up and said yeah. what is really going on. Yeah. So I know when difficult. I found out the truth, um, even though I had been away from the polygamy group for years and years, I didn't, hadn't discovered the truth. And when I finally did find it out, 25 years later, mm. I was so happy. I was so excited. And in truth, the truth did set me free. I was no longer in bondage to some of the things that I had been taught. That's um, wonderful. On page 332, you ask, is Mormonism an Orwellian society? <laughs> what does Orwellian mean, and what is the answer to your question? Well, George Orwell is a very popular author, and um, 
I'm sure many of your um, viewers have read Animal Farm or 1984, mm -hmm. and he. Um, he describes a society that is destructive to a free society, and it connotes characteristics of control, propaganda, surveillance. Uh, there's the strengthening of the members' committee yeah, that the church we has. Yeah, about that last while Yeah, misinformation, denial of truth, uh, manipulation of the past, including the unperson, a person whose past existence is expunged from the public record and the memory. And this is by per, uh, oppressive governments, but if you view the Mormon church as an oppressive theocracy, it's very similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And it is so close to uh, how, I, was it 1984 where they changed the history? They just continued to right. change the rewrite. history, rewrite, rewrite it, rewrite it, and rewrite it. We see that too. And Animal Farm too. Yeah. This I love. Uh, I hope we have time to, to, to dig into this on page 371. You talk about the Mormon aphorism. The glory of God is intelligence, <laughs> but lifelong ignorance is encouraged in the church. Yeah. And this is doubly true with the polygamists. You mentioned that the church itself, and Boyd Packer in particular, is notorious for saying that feminists, homosexuals, and intellectuals are the three biggest threats to the church. So how do you explain, or how do they explain, the contradictory statement that the glory of God is intelligence, but intellectuals are a threat to the church? What threat? What threat are they? It's inexplicable that they could, they could purport to seek after knowledge and intelligence. All they've ever done, really, is, is censor and constrict what the members can read. And so there is no reconciliation there. I mean, they're very um, insincere when they say that. Um, so when, what do they call it, black, well, I, can, I don't remember what the phrase they used, when they um, excommunicated, what, six members the of September BYU? And, and, and they were all intellectuals. Yes, that's they, right. They were all writing something that they had discovered, and, right. and they can't handle the truth. Right. No, they can't. They can't. They don't want to be challenged. They want to keep tight control over the membership. And the members, with the Internet, that's not going to work anymore. The cat's out of the bag, and some people are thinking and, and reading. Um, with the Internet, I know there's still some people that won't look. I search, I know that. I get the calls, I get the emails. Yeah. And, and they just absolutely have faith. Yeah. It's blind faith, and they refuse to check it out. But I know there are many, many, many more who are. Uh, so I think you're right that there's going to be a time uh, when there's, there's going to be uh, even more. And I understand that they're leaving by the tens of thousands. Yeah, there was a, a recent um, poll by Trinity College back in Connecticut, and they uh, polled more than 50,000 people at their homes in the continental United States and asked them if they identified with any religion. And they found that less than 2% identified with Mormonism. And based upon the numbers, comparing the numbers in, I believe it was 1990 with 2008, Mormonism has remained static. Its membership has not grown like the church claims it has. And in fact, according to the Trinity College study, young men are leaving the church in droves. Mm, okay. Um, it's, one time we were having a meeting of um, uh, several people in the room, and I, I won't go into what the meeting was about, but there were several men and women, females in the room. We introduced ourselves to each other, and 
every man, man that was in the room, 100% of them, were returned missionaries mm -hmm. who had left the church. Wow. Which was shocking. It was shocking yes. to me. But mm -hmm. anyway, this is a question I don't even know if you can answer. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the church organized uh, the corporation of the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 1917. Does this mean that the presiding president is in full and complete control of 100% of his assets, resources, property, a single man in exclusive control of the 14 million members and their assets? You know, I can't say with a certainty. Um, I don't know if it's one man or three men or 15 men. Uh, it, it, it sounds like that may be the case, but you have to see how, in fact, they handle the finances, and, and I don't have any inside information on that. Yeah. Uh, certainly, there are a small group of people that are in control of billions of dollars and a, a, an incredible stream of income without mm -hmm. any accountability. With no accountability, yeah. no input from and the membership. That's very different than a regular corporation where they're accountable to their stockholders if they misuse the money with incorrect political support or things like that, they're accountable and the stockholders can sue them. Not so with the Borman Church. Yeah. Yeah. And even in other churches, uh, the church, for instance, that I go to, we have business meetings where mm -hmm. the members of the church will, will vote how much money goes to this mm -hmm. and where this should go yeah. and if it shouldn't go and the rules of yeah. the uh, regulations that might regulate the members of the church. But, but I just thought I'd mention here that, uh, that Jesus, uh, people are complaining about this new uh, City Creek. Right. Jesus never owned a home. He yeah. never owned a bank account. He never owned a vehicle, right. never owned a farm, never owned a garden. In fact, he had to borrow a donkey to ride mm. on and he had to borrow a tomb to be laid upon and and That's he true. didn't rely upon money in fact he uh, he was very much against money uh, Mormon polygamy groups and also the LDS Church rely heavily on funds we're out of time Kay I want to thank you so very much for coming uh, for for both shows that you've done with us we really appreciate it and I appreciate you and your book Thank you very much, Doris. My closing comments, uh, just because a church has millions of members can never prove that it's God's true church. After all, Jesus said when two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with you. It doesn't take 14 million members. Jesus also said there's a wide road to destruction and many people will be on it. Just because a church does many good things doesn't prove it's the right church. Jesus said that we're not saved by good works so that no man can boast. And besides that, there are more churches who do more things for more people with more money and we don't hear about it because they don't go around bragging about it. It. Jesus said that whoever listens to his words and puts them into practice is like the man who builds his house on a rock. But those who don't put his words into practice are building their house on shifting sand and see their houses will fall down flat. And make no mistake about it, Jesus never lies. The Mormon church will fall down flat someday because their foundation is dishonesty and theft and coercion, prejudice, racism, sexism, false doctrine, a false Jesus and a God who isn't even recognized by biblical definition. And they even promise a heaven that doesn't exist. If this church is violated, what a human court of law would pronounce a verdict of guilty, what verdict do you suppose God's perfect court of justice would find? Too frequently people say that God is just 
lust. He loves me and will overlook my shortcomings. Yes, God does love you. That's why he died on the cross for you, because he loves us and we needed it. God does love us and he is just. Justice means that wrongdoing carries a penalty. And because God is just, no one escapes the penalty phase. Penalty is demanded and no works can erase that penalty. But Jesus paid our penalty for us. So it's either Jesus Christ alone for our eternal life or there is no eternal life available for us. Now most of the people in this culture, polygamists and Mormons alike, disregard these things. They simply will not listen to or be taught the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 10 verses 26 to 27, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So who are you following? A church system or Jesus? Jesus will have no rivals and Jesus will have no equals. We are thankful for those who are listening and do listen and they're learning and they are checking these things out to find out the truth and who are learning that. You know what? You don't need a church. All you need is Jesus. Stay tuned next week for Grant Palmer and we'd like to thank you for joining us tonight. Good night. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.